What do eight bags of concrete mix, a cooler full of 30-pound sea bass, and a 10-inch compound miter saw have in common? They're all things that are easier to load in and out of the bed of the new F-150. Thanks to its new available pro-access tailgate, that's also a swing gate. The new 2024 Ford F-150, tough this smart, can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024, pro-access tailgate available starting spring 2024, cargo and load capacity limited by weight and weight distribution. Dealing with mess can feel like an impossible task. It just keeps coming back. Well, today we're brought to you by the organization experts, IKEA. IKEA knows we all have those areas in our homes consumed by mess, whether it be that chair that collects all your clothes or the monstrous pile under your bed. That's why IKEA makes affordable wardrobe organizers, underbed storage, and other solutions to help you easily take back that chair and conquer the mess monster under your bed. Visit IKEA to explore more. You can't afford mess, so IKEA makes storage affordable. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the original true crime podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, Facebook Watch brings us the small screen adaptation of the OG post-serial fiction podcast, Limetown. Then we infiltrate some of the most dangerous drug rings in the world with the new podcast that tries to be a thriller, The Undercovers. Joining me to get that done and more is my real-life husband, true crime co-author and podcaster whom I'm often undercovers with, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Ah, <laughs> oh, here we go. Is that some Foley? Yes, it's because we're doing Limetown. I thought I'd <laughs> break out all the sound effects. Bump it up. Hold on, Hold on I got to go get... Yes. <laughs> okay. Come on in. I feel like people who haven't listened to our show for a while might not know what you're referring to, so we'll have to explain later in That's the show. That's okay. Okay? <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, a former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, certified cat lady, and chili cook-off muckraker, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yeah, that's me. Um, and I have a new moose cookbook to prove it. You do? What do you mean? I do. Um, well, I, my, my cousin Dwight came to visit this week and he was uh, hearing about that um, chili cook-off, but as well, Fireman Ken was just on a moose hunt. So he brought this cookbook, which has some recipes I might have to read in the after show, including a moose jaw jelly recipe. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. In my house. A yeah. hundred times no. <laughs> I don't even want that shit in my Patreon. Sorry, Laura. Nope. It's okay. Nope. And also how to cook beaver. <laughs> that I will take. <laughs> Beaver. That I will take. This is troubling. Finally with us, our resident cynic, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy, and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. You know, I was going to say hello in one of those fake Mexican accents that they use, <laughs> but I just like, I find it so uncomfortable listening to it that I didn't want to subject listeners to that. <laughs> well, I am listening right now obsessively to the Ronan Farrow book, Catch and Kill. Yeah. And I will tell you, there is a Catch and Kill podcast coming out being produced by our friends at Pineapple Street Media. And some great people are working on it, including Eric Menel, who used to work on Criminal. Right. We will be reviewing that Catch and Kill podcast on our show. I don't care. Like I, We are doing it in the future when it comes out. But anyway, I'm listening to the audiobook now. And Ronan Farrow, controversially does all of the voices in the audiobook. And as delightful as I find it, I also am very relieved there are no people with certain accents that then he does, because he really gets into it in a way that's a little bit weird. I, I heard I heard a little bit of the Ukrainian yeah. tough guy. Yeah, a little bit where he does Trump, he does the women, <laughs> he does oh British God. people, he does Australians and, and It's Kiwis. an audio book, not an audio play. At one point he does uh, Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole thing, but it's really good. I have to say, despite that, as you know, Kevin, you've not been able to tear me away from my AirPods this week because I'm know. so addicted to the yeah. book. All right. Well, uh, speaking of our Patreon and Lara's chili muck raking, we do have a brand new Leave It to Bricker up right now featuring Lara's 
Chili Cookoff reporting in our Patreon feed. We also have an after show this evening that features a very special guest. It is a real life. Get this, Kevin. I talked to mm-hmm. a real life journalist. Wow. <gasps> <laughs> a real Where'd life reporter, <laughs> a real life reporter named Keith Sharon, who hosts a podcast oh. called Crime Beat. Yes, he's from the Orange yeah. County Register. I he's that, awesome. I know that you're familiar with him, Toby. Also, he's a fan of our show in a way that surprises even me because he's so legit. Let's just play a, a 30 second clip of me and him right now. You're a legit journalist. What the hell are you doing listening to our stupid podcast? Every <laughs> you know, I have to say that in the world of true crime, this is a bucket list event for me to talk <laughs> with you. I am such a Crime Writers On listener. I listen so much and so intently that I deserve a free pair of Rothy's. <laughs> So listen to my conversation with real-life, legit journalist and Crime Beat host Keith Sharon in today's Crime Writers on After Show, which is dropping in our Patreon feed right now. And you should support all the stuff we do. Toby's Book Club, this show, all the podcasts we can make, Married with Podcasts. Married We're going to be taping a new one this week. Mm-hmm. We can get all of that on our Patreon for just a couple bucks a month, and you're supporting the company when you do. We really appreciate it. All right, you guys ready to start the show tonight? We are. It's going to be a good one. My name is Leah Haddock, and you're listening to American Public Radio. Facebook Watch is out with its own imagining of the podcast Limetown. As with the original, the story revolves around a public radio reporter investigating the sudden disappearance of hundreds of people from a tiny town and remote research facility years ago. The first time most people heard about Limetown was on the night of February 8th, 2004. This is a dream! 911, what's your emergency? We need emergency services in Limetown. 17 minutes later, first responders arrived at the Limetown gates. They found that 326 people had vanished. Jessica Beale plays reporter Leah Haddock, a woman both obsessive and fragile, with a familial connection to the story. Her uncle was among those who vanished. The latest series to go from behind microphones to in front of the cameras, Limetown stays close to the original podcast story while fleshing out Leah's character in new ways. Will the reporter learn what experiments were happening at the facility and what caused its residents to disappear? And more important, where are they all today? We will be talking about plot points from Limetown episodes one through four. So to remain spoiler free, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down review. I can already tell this is going to be a lively conversation about Limetown. Mm -hmm. But Kevin, I just want to start with something simple that you can answer. Yeah. Jessica Biel, well-respected actress, plays Leah Haddock, I think in a way that makes her seem like a psychopath, but maybe that's just me. More important, Leah Haddock is a public radio reporter and a journalist. The series opens with Leah Haddock doing some vocal exercises before she records her her narration for her story. My name is Leah Haddock. My name is Leah Haddock. Have you ever seen anyone do vocal <laughs> exercises like this ever, Kevin? No. <laughs> no. No, I was in radio for 15 years. You've been in radio for another 10, but I've never seen anyone, you know. It's ridiculous. Because nobody does it. I do stuff like that do all you? the time. <laughs> well, I, it's not working. Laura told me to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it was when Flat Toby was riding around with me, I was giving him some advice. Yeah. But yeah. actually, the TV show does open with, I think, the best part of the podcast, which is the scene where the guy comes to her motel door and is banging his head, Uh-oh. which is super scary in the podcast. But I thought it was the perfect way to start. The, it, it's really the, the most grab-him-by-the-throat part of the story. You can't scare me. So to lead with that instead of making it like the end of episode two, like in the podcast, they thought was a good way to go. Toby's note about that scene says, and I quote, 
The scene with the guy bashing his head on Leah's door is bad in several ways that are representative of this whole shitty mess. Toby, what did you mean by that? Um, <laughs> so look, the, the basic idea behind it, that if you're like hanging out in a hotel room and something starts banging on your door and you look out the window and it's some guy doing it with his head. Yeah, that's scary. And then just to show you that it's not just sort of a random door he's banging his head against, he says Leah, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And then at that point, it's like a good scary scene. And then he says, this is a warning. <laughs> and I think, you know, it's a pretty well-known thing that the less information you give about scary scenes, the better. So like him explaining, like, first of all, I'm not really clear on why like banging his head against the door is a warning. Like he could just like leave a note on her windshield or something instead. (laughs) But if you get past that, it's like not only killing the mystery behind why is he doing that, but it's also like, oh, it's just a warning. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Because I was worried you were going to break in and try and kill me. Mm. But if you're just warning me. That's fine. So it's kind of, it sort of dissolves the suspense. And then she's like, goes up to the door and starts banging on it, says, I'm not afraid of you, which A, is weird because she should be. And B, (laughs) you know, usually those scenes come as sort of the payoff from the protagonist having been in these terrifying situations and not being able to deal with them at first. And then the character arc is she gets into a point where there's a situation like that. And then she's like, you know, I've had enough. This time I'm dealing with it. You can't scare me. But there hasn't been any other scary stuff the entire time. Yeah, it's the beginning of the story. Why isn't she scared? It it would make no sense that she wouldn't be scared. So it's just it's sort of like this unearned moment. Like it seemed like they came up with a really scary idea and then managed to ruin it. And I kind of felt like that was sort of a consistent theme. Now, Laura, we talked about Limetown a very long time ago. Yeah. Limetown came out pretty much on the heels of Serial Season 1. Leah Haddock's character, in some ways, uh, was very much modeled after the Sarah Koenig-like. And if you watch the... Sorry, Kevin. I think they're very boring uh, video extras that come with the series. <laughs> like the two dudes who made the podcast and then also were the showrunners of the series talk about how allegedly podcast listeners thought the podcast was real. I'm like, I call bullshit on that because there was nothing about the podcast that felt real to me at the time or afterwards. Um, but but it's been but it's been a long time. And. I think you, like me, are feeling a little more kindly toward this film adaptation. Uh, you sent me a note that says, you know, it seems more credible. What did you mean by yeah. that? Yeah, well, so first of all, it was a while ago that we watched it. And so I, it's kind of like when you read a book and then you reread it and you're like, I don't quite remember the ending, but I think I do. So I think that's good because it's working to my advantage. But I feel like when we initially listened to this, I remember it feeling so overdone to me as a podcast in terms of like all these like public radio stereotypes just being done to the max. I mean, it was just like a little bit over the top with, uh, you know, everything that she was doing. And I feel like watching Jessica Beale as Leah instead of listening to the podcast. I mean, even though she comes across a little bit crazy, which I mean, she's playing the character well, I feel like it's not done in such a way that it seems as fake as it did to me as a podcast, which who the hell thought it was real? Like, are you freaking kidding me? It's <laughs> no, like people no one. that think no one that, thought that. No, the undercovers is real. Um, no, they didn't. Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I don't know. I just I, I like the portrayal. I mean, there was a, a couple parts that were a little slow, but overall, it's like sometimes, you know, when a book is made into a movie and you've read the book, you're always like, oh, fuck, they're going to ruin the book. But in this case, podcast being made into a show i think i actually like the show better than i like the podcast yeah I, I just i don't remember so much masturbation in the podcast <laughs> that's exactly but, um, she's just constantly masturbating like, what is going on here uh, i have a question but, about well, the yeah. masturbating so the first episode, well sometimes when a woman <laughs> loves, herself, loves herself we saw we see her go visit her girlfriend who's played by one of three so far battlestar galactica alumni in this show candice yeah. mcclure uh, who plays Duala in Battlestar Galactica. By the way, Oscar is uh, Gaeta from Battlestar Galactica. And then we also have um, the FBI agent is also from Battlestar Galactica. Anyway, she goes to visit her girlfriend. They have sex. Yeah. She immediately goes home and listens to the recording of them having sex and masturbates. And I'm like, didn't you just have sex like five minutes ago? What are you doing? She likes the heavy breathing. That's Why? 
I, that's her thing. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, is that bearded guy going to masturbate later? Are we going to no. watch that? I really hope not. <laughs> but why? why? Why do we have to watch her masturbate all the time? Mm. And like he just has to lie in his bed by himself with his sleep mask on. Well, yeah, I started God. to wonder. He did come and start looking at her recently in a, one of the last episodes. I was like, uh-oh, is it now his turn? Like, what's happening now? But oh, he was he just like- blast on her back or something? No, he just goes, oh, you you look weird when you're sleeping. And I'm like, oh, okay. But like, even in 2019 with HBO and everything, a scene with a character masturbating is still a bit shocking. And I think they, and that was intentional. And obviously, yeah, they didn't do that in the podcast. But I think they're trying to do different things here to flesh out Leah's character in a way that they did it in the podcast where she was pretty much two-dimensional. And so they're playing more with the backstory and the angst about her parents and her uncle and giving her this obsessive kind of self-destructive streak, you know, adds something to the character. Now, whether or not it works or not, you can argue, but they're trying which they really didn't have the runway to do that in the podcast. I actually think when I, I was only half joking when I said that Leah's character comes off as a psychopath in the show. I really do. She's so flat. Her affect. She has no read of the room. Her emotions always seem very off to what's happening around her, which I think is intentional. I really yeah. do. I think it's intentional. But my favorite scene is when she meets her new producer and hears what she says to him. I don't need a babysitter. Leah. Hi, I'm a Mark. You, Mark. <laughs> is that what you said? Because they edited it. I'm, I'm assuming that's what it was. <laughs> Toby, when you meet people, is that what you say? Usually. That's the alpha move, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Just go, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets them on the defensive. Yeah, then they're going to want to uh, please you. Yeah, exactly. How can I get back at your good graces? <laughs> yeah, that was my favorite part, too. So I want to talk about sort of the conceit of Limetown. It is, I think, you know, I follow, um, I'm on a Reddit community, everyone is, called Writing Prompts, where basically, like, people just put up, like, a scenario, uh-huh. and then a bunch of people post, it's sort of like um, Photoshop challenges, except it's writing prompts. The writing prompt of a facility where everyone disappeared that was doing, like, telepathy experiments between humans and animals, like, it's an interesting prompt, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone yep. hasn't disappeared, though. They're still alive. Yep. What I wonder is when I even I thought this when I heard the podcast and I'm thinking again watching the TV show is that as much as I like passenger list, Kevin, and you don't, the structure of passenger list means that we could have 300 plus episodes because she's going through literally every one on the passenger list. Yeah. Doesn't this potentially the story suffer from the same weakness that there's, you know. 300 plus people there, which by the way, in the crowd scenes in Limetown, there are way more than 300 people. I'm <laughs> quibbling. Doesn't it suffer from that same thing where we could be led on a series of endless dead ends? Probably. But it's but... building with the story, right? Yes. I mean, she isn't like talking to 300 people like one a week. She she, she doesn't have a lot to go on. So, you know, one leads to another. And I, I think that's interesting. I do want to just bring up one point because for those who didn't listen to our review way back when, which I can't even remember actually doing the review. We may have liked it, I think but we, we, just made, talked but we about made fun it. of it for years after. The, the point was that the podcast had so much production that you would hear every set of footsteps because they're just trying to make this like a radio play. And it's like nobody in the world has carpet. Yeah. And then there's the like, oh, well, won't you come in? <laughs> you know, like all these very performative. Oh, my favorite was the smoking. Someone smoking a cigarette, it would be like. Yeah. <laughs> and then so like later on, we would make jokes about stuff. We'd say, what is this, Limetown? And we would make some noise. Uh, but that aside, you know, it's it's the basis of a really interesting story. And I think on the TV side, it's not overproduced TV wise. I think there's like a really good guiding hand here visually and you know, they got it isn't just a bunch of people in a studio splicing a bunch of tape together to make something happen. They got some real smart people doing this. Now, Lara, we are getting some backstory that we didn't get in the podcast. We're getting young Leah because in the podcast, we're just told, like, yeah. this is my uncle and I miss him. Yeah. But we're actually seeing her with her uncle, played by Stanley Tucci, who's wonderful and everything. And we're also getting more of the backstories and the sort of richer character lives of the survivors that she meets. What do you think of this deeper dive? Does it add to the storytelling or does it detract from the storytelling? Oh, I think it absolutely adds and makes you feel more 
invested in watching because now you're feeling somewhat engaged, you know, I, I invested for me in what's happening to these characters. So I really like the scenes with little Leah, whoever the girl is that they cast as little Leah is adorable. And her her eyes are just amazing. And the scene with her and her uncle, um, it, it kind of expands, you know, in the beginning, we just see them doing their little recording. And you're like, Oh, that's so cute. And he just seems so gentle and nice. And he seems to really understand her. This is Leah Haddock with Haddock News. Here with my Uncle Emil Haddock. Uncle Emil, why do you call me Apple? Oh, I, I don't know. Yes, you do. I do? No, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember. And then you get a little bit more of the story when you see her parents fighting and he just happens to be in the right place at the right time always and you know kind of hustles her off and then later you see a little bit more interacting I was wondering like if he lived at their house or if he was just visiting off and I wasn't sure I feel like we get a lot more of the backstory also for the veterinarian who's taking care of the pigs and mm. then he's awesome that is when for me I was like okay now I'm really getting into the show because that episode where we really got to learn more about him and his relationship with Napoleon the pig and his wife's death. And he's bringing his sad little recliner chair to Limetown with all their sterilized furniture. Really showed you he's like a real, like it, it to me, it made him seem like an authentic character who was actually a real human going into this totally artificial place. So I, I like the backstory. I think it adds a lot because I felt like in the podcast, we were just like listening to Leah and I'm like, shut the fuck up. And now I'm like, okay, <laughs> there's some other characters here and they're interesting and you want to know what happens to them. I really did not care too much for episodes one and two, but I actually think episode three was also very strong when they go to that place and they meet the guy involved in the fire played by Kevin. French Stewart. That's right. French who was from? Uh, third Rock from the Sun. That's right. Another hey, it's that guy yeah. uh, sitting on his deathbed dying of stomach cancer. Hi. Sorry, the door was open. Pull up a chair. This is a reporter. This is a reverend. So pleased to meet you. Pleased to meet you, Leah Haddock. Leah. So that was an interesting episode because the arc of it was unexpected. We thought we, meeting the survivor, I don't know why Leah thought that, but she did. Uh, and then you get this whole other story that's unrelated that is the back door into the veterinarian story, that was when this TV show for me, I was like, oh, they're doing something different than the podcast that's actually interesting. But given Toby's growing frustration that I hear in my ear right now, I'm guessing you are still having problems with the show even as, as, as it progresses. Um, you also did not enjoy the early episodes, especially when Leah went to interview Winona, right? First Lime Townians? Lime so you knew Emil Haddock. Is that important to you? That cannot be what's important to you. Fifteen years and you're still asking the wrong questions. Anyway, I hope that you So find the whole, and it's the same way when she talks to uh, the pig guy, is that she, she conducts these interviews where they'll kind of tell her some stuff and hint at some stuff, but not really answer her important questions, even though it's clear they know what the answers are. You know, maybe you can get away with it once. But it's just kind of a shitty way of withholding information from people. Like, it seems like you should be able to come up with a better reason for only getting partial information than just, I don't want to tell you. So I, I found that frustrating. I also found it frustrating that she basically screws up the interview because she decides she wants to critique the woman's parenting. Mm. And I'm like, what the, f you know, this is the interview that everybody's so jacked up about. It's the most important interview of your career. It's the end of this huge quest, you think. And you're like, oh, well, you should have been a better mom. What the <laughs> Come on. Seriously, just like can it for a minute. Listen, the, the portrayal of journalism in this is not exactly spot on. It's just not. Leah no, says things ridiculous. in her reporting that like would never be allowed to be said in her reporting. They're like airing things without fact checking them or getting corroboration. Let's just put that aside. It's a fantasy. And then the whole thing with the pigs, there, there's a movie about this called Upstream Color, hmm. which is about people sort of psychically communicating with pigs as part of an experiment. So it's kind of just taken from that. Um, really? 
Yes. Is it a fictional uh, movie or a documentary, Toby? It's a documentary about people who can communicate <laughs> psychically with pigs, Rebecca. Uh, okay. No, what? it's a uh, it's a fictional movie. Did you guys did you see um, Primer? No. no. It's this guy who made this like sci-fi movie for like seven thousand dollars. It's just the writing is great. And then it's like, thank you to U-Haul of Austin, Texas, for allowing us to use one of your storage <laughs> facilities. Uh-huh. You know? I mean, it's just like that kind of like super low budget. And then he got a little bit more money. So he made this really strange movie. But it basically is about an experimental drug that has people and pigs kind of communing spiritually and mentally. That's exactly this plot. That's exactly. That's yeah. weird. Huh. It is weird. Well, I have a different perspective on that now. Thank but you, But is Toby. somebody doing a fake podcast about it? <laughs> uh, if only they were. So anyway, I, I, you know, I think it gets a little bit better. I do think the, the whole story was kind of weird of the, the guy who lets those girls burn to death. You know, in the end, it doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't really shine any light, light on the plot. It's just kind of a, a filler so that you can have a little surprise at the end. Mm, yeah. Right? I mean, I, that's the only... That's the only reason I could see for having it. I felt differently about it. I liked it. Again, I thought you do feel like you're maybe you're going off on a red herring here. First of all, I, you and I were looking at each other like, oh, my God, she got a great radio story. This is a great news story. The guy confessed. Fuck Limetown. This is this is what you're doing exactly. tomorrow. Exactly. You've, you've just yeah, solved exactly. the triple murder. You've solved the triple murder. But, of course, because there's no, Don't actual, be mad. There's no actual journalism in this podcast, yeah. so that would never happen. Yeah. And, and, but Her was, editor at NPR, fake NPR. APR. Must fucking hate her. <laughs> oh, she does. You she does. literally yeah. solved a decades-old murder and got a confession on tape, and then you had to screw it up by turning your recorder off and like backing up like four feet from the bed. <laughs> 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 but you liked that too. I did, and I, th- I, I think that was a major turning point in the in the series. There, that I thought that the first two episodes were not as strong as episodes three and four. Hmm. I agree. Uh, I think that one of the reasons I liked it was because I like to think what it was is you guys are going to hear this really horrible thing and see this really horrible thing. And by the way, that preacher guy like euthanized that dude right in front of them. Right. Yeah. Like that was weird. (laughs) He gives zero fucks at this point. He was a veterinarian. I guess he's used to it. Right. Yeah. Laura, I know like you, like me, have really have a struggle with scenes around animals and animal cruelty and stuff. Yeah. And the one thing I will say about, you know, the, the episode four of the show, which does show the experiment with the pig and it's very sad, is I think it's handled in such a way that it it's contextual and I can bear it in a way. I don't know. I thought it was actually pretty well done. Yeah, it wasn't because like when I saw him pick up the mallet, I was like, oh, shit, I do oh, not want to watch When you saw this. him pick up that baby pig, you knew like something's <laughs> yeah. going to happen to that poor baby. There's like, no happy endings in life. Uh, <laughs> but thankfully, you didn't actually see the after like, you you know, you just see it. Co- you don't see everything. I was like, OK, I can imagine it. That's that's OK. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It wasn't like animal cruelty where you see it in certain scenes where it's like somebody with malice. It was actually sort of like an act of love in a way for this pig. So it was a little bit less disturbing than other things we've watched with animals, even though it was pretty freaking disturbing. <laughs> I wish I was thinking more about the sort of the larger scene, like the just experimenting on pigs. Oh, I, I was that- when they get off the trailer and they bring them all into the barn. I was just and then they're like. Where's the oldest one? I'm like, yeah. oh my god! Why do you even God. have a vet here? For real? Why do you even have a vet here? He's taking one away every day. <laughs> and like, and he had no for? idea why he was there. And then I'm just looking at all the little ones. I'm like, no, you know. All right. So what we have so far is a psychopathic fake public radio reporter doesn't know anything about journalism, mm-hmm. but ends up on the evening news because of her scoop. We have a guy banging his head on a hotel room door. We've got a weird experiment with pigs. We've got a weird cryptic character telling Leah she's starting her journey and then not giving her any information. We have a guy with a beard who Leah hates for no reason. He seems like an awful nice producer. And here we are, like midstream in Limetown already, a television adaptation of a podcast that we have talked about for years on our show. So let's do what we do. Let's tell our listeners, should they check out Limetown on Facebook Watch which, by the way, you can either watch at facebook.com slash Limetown or look for the Facebook Watch app on your smart TV, as Kevin and I did. It's easier than you think, guys, to watch these obscure things. It really is. Should they check out Limetown? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs up or thumbs down? 
Um, yeah, I think you should definitely give it a watch. I um, sometimes have apprehension when you go from like a book to a movie that it's going to get ruined. But in this case, going from podcast to a TV series or a streaming series, I think it actually is better than the original podcast. And I like the casting. I like the addition of some more background on some of the characters. And I just I kind of like the scene and being able to actually see what Limetown looked like when it started. So it's really, it's interesting. So that's a thumbs up, Laura? That is a thumbs up, yes. Toy Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Limetown, the adaptation of the podcast on Facebook Watch? Uh, thumbs down. Don't think it's that good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toby, anyone free anybody review. who's fast forwarded to this part might want to know why you're giving it uh, such Why don't I think it's that good? I think it's got some good ideas. I think it builds suspense in kind of cheap ways. Of just having people say, I don't want to tell you that. And so you're left in suspense because the person apparently just doesn't want to let you know because they're scared or something or they don't remember. And like, again, it's like that scene with the guy banging his head against the wall. It's like, could have been super scary. Instead, they subvert themselves. So it's like kind of weird, but it should have been much more intense. So I don't know. I just kind of felt like the whole thing wasn't a complete disaster. But with what they came up with, like with the idea that they have and sort of the atmosphere that they create at times, like I felt like it could be good, but then it's just not quite hitting. It seems like if somebody had taken a look at it and been like, can we be more ruthless about sort of examining the choices we make? Like if we want her to walk away from this interview with Winona – knowing certain things and not knowing other things. Is there a way we can do that other than just she knows but isn't going to tell for whatever reason? So, thumbs down. So, I'm on the fence. I, uh, gosh, I'm really on the fence. I'm enjoying it. So, I guess I have to give it a thumbs up because I'm, I want to watch the next episode. However, my big criticism of this show is it should have been taken out of the hands of the guys who made the podcast when they made the show. Because I still feel the fingerprints of what was not great about the podcast on the show. And then there are some other things about it that feel like mimicry of the TV adaptation of Homecoming in the sort of flat, colorized cinematography like that we see in this show. It feels like grayed out, very like monochromatic. It sort of reminds me of those 70s like, flashback of, scenes yeah. at Homecoming. And then you also have like the large title sequences, which look just like the title sequences in um, Mindhunter. Mindhunter on Netflix. You're watching on a small screen. It is Facebook. It feels like they've taken, it's a little bit of a Franken show where they've taken some cool things they liked from other adaptations and just hammered them into this. The places the show is good are places it diverges from the source material of the podcast. So what that tells me is good on you two NYU dudes for creating the podcast. But like when it comes time to for the show running part of making a TV show out of a show, I feel like the material would have been better and there would have been more creative ideas and it could have been improved because Limetown itself was not a great podcast by a better TV showrunner or showrunner. So I think that the things I like about it are the things that diverge. Still, I'm going to give it a thumbs up because I'm enjoying watching it. It feels kind of like a guilty pleasure to me. And I like the actors. The actors are all really good. What about you, Kevin? I'm also going to be a thumbs up. It's growing on me. I was a little troubled. It's like a wart. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't really, you know, other than the opening scene I thought was strong. Uh, but beyond that, it kind of, I, I kind of wondered whether or not I would want to follow Jessica Beale as our lead protagonist. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's gotten very good. I think... It has been freed from the overwrought principles of the podcast production where they were trying to take what they envisioned was a movie and write and produce it as an audio drama and those things that were clunky and to just sort of get back to sort of a more conventional storytelling format like television Mm. lends itself to bringing this show along. I'm glad they've been able to, you know, advance this project along. I much prefer seeing a Limetown than listening to it. Really? Yeah. Moving on. The producer of the sitcom Modern Family and one of its stars have teamed up for the new podcast thriller, The Undercovers. 
red Mustang screams onto the scene. Guns. This is how fast it can go bad. One minute you're ready to give the bus signal, the next your sellers turn into killers. And if you don't react immediately and violently, you'll never have the chance to do it again. It's an audio dramatization of the life and career of DEA agent Eddie Fallis that recounts the exploits of working to take down narco-terrorists from inside their organizations. Both traffickers approached the Volvo. One remained at the trunk while the other walked up to the passenger side. The trafficker leaned in and asked, Where's the money? Seema turned to Martinez. He knew what to do. The show employs a double narrator format with Modern Family's Ed O'Neill guiding the story while actor Sam Daly plays Eddie. They're backed up by rich sound design of music, sound effects, and supporting actors. Good UCs never think about death when they go under. They're just too busy. They're constantly working the targets, incessantly scanning, taking inventory, moving here, adjusting there, laterally maneuvering. Death is never in the equation. Until, well, it is. Co-written by Fallis and based on his autobiography, The Undercovers attempts to set itself apart in style and storytelling with tough guy dialogue to go along with the tough guy action. We are going to be talking about plot points from season one of The Undercovers, so to stay spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes. Real question. I'm going to go around the panel, and I want you to each give me a very short answer. Who is this podcast for? Toby, who do you think this podcast is for? Uh, I have no fucking idea. Laura Bricker, who do you think this podcast is for? The people that drop the weights at Planet Fitness and get the lunk alarm. (laughs) 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 Kevin, who do you think this podcast is for? Men. Like men with bad podcast days? No. Most true crime podcasts, the target audience, are females. Mm. And women, you mean? Okay, I'm using the industry term. Females, <laughs> twenty-five to fifty-four. Yeah. But what this, this, I think, by style and by choice of subject, it seems like this podcast hopes to draw in more men who are interested in crime, and find that demographic. So, Toby, I'm looking at your notes right now, and I'm also looking at Lars' notes, and I'm looking at my notes. And basically, we all have about a page and a half looking at all of the stuff that is basically like college dormitory posters turned into a podcast. Like, for instance, you mentioned the Serpico section in your notes. You say, it's so fucking bad. I wanted to die. You talk about Hans Wolfgang drugs. Uh, But my favorite, your note of yours, that is actually the note that begins your notes, which says... I don't even know where to start. So, Toby, where do we start in talking about this show? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I thought I made that pretty clear in my notes, Rebecca. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the, the place to start is that it's super weird in that it has a narrator, then it has an actor pretending to be the guy who's the subject. Mm. So it's just kind of strange because at first I was like, wow, Do they actually have the subject of this, like having to read off a script? His own dialogue? Instead of just interviewing him and just being like, hey, dude, what happened when this happened? Then it becomes clear it's an actor, but they're not really writing it as though he's having a conversation with you. Eddie was selected by the company commander and the senior drill instructors to be the company honor man. He would graduate from the Marine Corps number one in his class. His next step would take very little thought. I'd applied to every federal law enforcement agency, and the spooks recruited me. But my heart was set on DEA because their agents were known for heavy UC and aggressively hunting kingpins. So I was hired and reported to the Academy in July 1988. Sometimes he interacts with Ed O'Neill, right? It's weird. Yeah, it's like paragraphs. It's it's like in paragraph form. And then sometimes, like there's one scene, you know, I'm going to have to paraphrase this, but he's talking about, I think... He's like an undercover guy, and he's going to do a drug deal, and they show up, and everybody's nervous. He's like, hey, man, hey, man, be cool. This is the most dangerous part of any drug deal is when the stuff is on the table. And and I'm like, whoa, is he trying to explain that to the other drug guy that this is the most <laughs> or, or what's going on? And then it took like 30 seconds. I'm like, oh, no, he's broken back into like narration. Yeah. 
<laughs> so the whole thing is just, it's weird. It's like if the guy who this actually happened to is working on this, why don't you just have him talk about what happened? Mm. It'd be like 10 times better than listening to this actor. You know, it's it's basically like he's he's reading passages of a book. And Written by to make a fourth sound. grade boy. <laughs> yeah, and then try to make it sound like he's like a tough guy, like kind of talking off the. Uh, it's it's really a mess. Laura, you loved the writing this podcast, right? I I think that's where we should start is the writing because that's the part. Like I'm listening to this, I'm driving down the road, and I'm like. You fucking kidding me? Like the part where they're like, sometimes you eat the tiger and sometimes the tiger eats you. And we're like <laughs> driving to school. I'm listening to this. And my son's like, this is really bad. And I'm like, it's fucking horrible. And I'm like, and I don't even care that I'm like swearing in the car. But I think that for me was it just made it so consistently bad was the writing because it was like, I'm like, who the hell talks like this? People don't talk like this. Yeah, I had a mud at home after the dog scene. I'm like, people don't, this isn't real. Like, this is not a conversation happened. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, looking at the list of people that work in it. And I'm like, these people all have worked on other projects. What's wrong here? And I was like, oh, they're all men. I don't know if they were tone deaf or if they thought they sounded macho, but it was just so bad that uh, that's the part that just kept standing out for me. I'd be like riding along and I'd be like, did they really just say that? You mean like the strippers who look like they have daddy issues? You don't think yes. that was a good piece of writing? The Prince Machiavelli Lounge. You gotta love Border Town Gentlemen's Clubs. Real classy. Eddie Follis, DEA. Dark and dank, smells like sweat, baby powder, and cheap perfume. Two naked girls spinning around poles, sporting the kind of vacant expression that says, I had a real bad daddy. Well, I think Laura's right. I think that they're trying to be macho. I think that's the whole premise of the podcast. You have these guys doing very dangerous stuff. It's interesting, very much the way like in Mindhunter where people start asking Bill about his job. You know, you talk about with a guy about being undercover, having all these great stories. Like, what can we do with this? Well, we can make it a movie or a TV show, whatever. It ends up being a podcast. How do you make that happen? And if you're going to do it, what, what do you want to infuse it with? Do you want it to be serious and pensive like a NPR piece? Or are you going to want to boost it up with some testosterone and make it feel like a Raymond Chandler novel? And I don't know if the flaw is that that concept is bad or if the concept is solid, but they're not executing it right. But the writing is the problem that, you know, there's some things, you know, it, it's hard not to laugh. You want him to take a bit of you with him. It sounds strange, but it happens. You must never give him a reason to not trust you. Rather, he needs to be beyond the trust factor and stay centered on how much money you're going to make him. Because for traffickers, especially like Kayed, it's not about the money. It's about the money. <laughs> so, so Kevin, I, I actually just want to like quibble with you on something. Yeah. Because you said earlier as we were setting this up that it's like for men. So it's like men will like it or whatever. Probably. You know, I'm just. But here's the thing. Wait, you asked the question. No, I know. So that's my answer. But here's yeah. the thing. So there are obviously like media products made with a demographic in mind, right? So let's take, for instance, like the Fast and Furious franchise. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's made with a demographic in mind. Like. Probably men of a certain age and demographic who like cars and also like Vin Diesel and whatever. And I'll tell you, I have seen some of those movies. And even though I may not say that they're like award worthy movies or whatever, they bring something. They bring like really good car chase sequences. They bring like the sort of cheese of a fun action thriller that makes them like consumable. This to me is like insulting for the audience that it's made for. It's insulting because the acting is not just bad, it's offensive. Let's talk about those accents for a second. These are the moments made for undercovers. It's Eddie's time. I hear you do nice work. I also do nice work. Tell me. I understand you have some issues. An infestation. Yeah, we do. No undercover will ever say, I can do that guy for you. I know how to eradicate infestations. I see. And what would you need from us if I hire you? So it has that element. It also has the sound design, which is like embarrassing. It's worse than... I don't know. I think oh, it's embarrassing. that was a car. Sorry. I, I, 
<laughs> I think if you have some, if there are some good things to say about it, I think that sound sequences are very well done. I mean, like a couple of these cop scenes, you know, it's great, but it's like ten seconds. You know, it's not, it's not a you know half hour. But you know, who I feel oh, really goodness. embarrassed for poor Ed O'Neill. I love Ed O'Neill. I love him too. Yeah. He literally was just sent a script and read it. He didn't know what, like, it's not like he saw and heard all the action. You know, he just was at the script and read He's it. He's doing his thing, yeah. Plopped in, he read it, then he read his Wix ad, and then he went home. <laughs> oh, wait. Ed's here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's the new Limetown. So, Toby, I have a question for you storytelling-wise. I was telling Kevin today, when I was listening to this podcast, I was like, you're going to have to do a lot of, like, the carrying of the water in terms of, like, what actually happened. Like, if someone asks me a question about the plot or if I want to talk about the plot, I'm actually not going to be able to because it all went by so quickly and it's such, like, a frenetic, weird pace, except for this one weird-ass protracted scene about Ed, the protagonist, murdering a dog. I love dogs. Always have. Had a few mutts myself. And this dog I was carrying, well, it wasn't his fault. I had to do what I did. So I carried him into the water. Went out about 50 feet. And then I just let him go. What the hell was that all about? Why did we need so much of that? And why was that scene there? And why was it the way it was? And did you react to it the same way I did? Well, I, that's the only real story. <laughs> like everything else is like sort of a recitation of some facts about what happened. But there's none of the other stuff of storytelling. Like, how did you feel? And build up a little suspense. And what are the repercussions? What did you think afterwards? The stories are told so quickly and, I mean, it basically reads like it's outlines. You know, the idea that we're supposed to believe that somebody's idea of how they're going to do security is to have some starving dogs hang out in an alley that can be breached by giving them food. Milk bones. It's right up there with a guy named Hans Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just the kind of – it does – it seems like something like a fifth grader would think of. Except that it really happened. But I don't think it did. I don't think that really, really? happened. I agree. So you think the problem with this is that the guy's autobiography is – no, listen, I think, I think he may have been sent on all these missions and done some stuff. The dialogue is not real. They yeah, clearly that, sure. fictionalize the dialogue. Right. So who's to say they didn't fictionalize, like, in the moment that, you know, that dog died in my arms and I had it. It's just a lot. It was like, like to it, the ocean. It was a big moment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm going to take this mangy, half-starved dog on a ride with me so I can, like, let it float out into the ocean. But the, again, it's a Hindu I just, country, it Toby. It's a Hindu country. He would have been killed, Toby. He would have been killed, he, you know. What, the dog? No, the guy. That's what he said. He would have been killed because the dogs were like sacred reincarnated relatives. And it would be like, you know, he would have been a marked man if he oh, killed an animal. See, that's the other thing. His description of Thailand, I believe I took notes. He said that Thailand runs on meth. People don't kill animals because they think they might be their reincarnated relatives. And cobras are as common as rodents. <laughs> like, th th there's no fucking way that there are as many cobras in Thailand as there are mice or whatever. Like, I think about the number of mice that are, like, in our garage at any one time. And if those were cobras, <laughs> that would be a problem. It's very dangerous. That's why it's so macho, Toby. You have to be a man to survive. I keep thinking about when – I, when I think about the, the fakery of the story – so, Kevin, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to, like, debunk your theory. This is all nonfiction. But the description of this guy's, like, is it wife or girlfriend? Of, like, him going into these undercover jobs. And it's like he has her saying, is this what love is? Is this oh, what that's it all looks bad. Like? Yeah, I know that's bad. So bad. I just felt so embarrassed the whole time I was listening to this. Like, at some point, this was legit production with, like, people who write for TV and stuff, right? Right. So at some point, there were people sitting around a room doing a table read or, like, someone sent a script to someone and they had to read it and then deliver it. I was so embarrassed this whole time. <laughs> well, Rebecca, you're not half Chinese, half Hawaiian, half Portuguese, and half white. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if you were. How many halves is that? That's a lot of halves. <laughs> it does not ring true in any way. I mean, you can call it fakery, call it, in my opinion, it does not ring true. 
Kevin, uh, thoughts? Because you seem more charitable than I do about all this. Well, I, li- I, I like the spine of the guy's stories. I mean, it certainly is, you know, if you could have a beer with Eddie Fallas, I think it'd be a really fascinating night. I just don't just know. Just don't if- let him write in your diary. That's for right, you. yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, yeah I, I just don't think it was executed well. But, you know, props for trying to do something different. Because not only is it just like this double narrator thing, but the idea of we're going to take something in the crime world, a detective, spy story, whatever you want to call it, and dramatize it, a nonfiction dramatization. There's not a lot of that out there. And so I think props for trying to do something different. I just don't think they executed this well. The writing is very problematic. It's also racist in many parts. Am I the only person who thinks that? Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's problematic. They had that one guy who sounded like Pedro from Napoleon Dynamite. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? I think it was just, hey, Napoleon. I'm like, no, this is horrible. It just was so doing bad. Accents. <laughs> they could have hired like a couple more actors. They could have hired Ronan Farrow to do the accents and it would have been less offensive. I mean, we've had troublesome story. accents before. And that is something that like, remember when we did that show? What was the one? Blackout that we did where it was like northern New Hampshire yes. and all the accents were like, down east maine i mean you i don't know it can really ruin a story yes like really if you're going to do a mexican accent like you don't have to turn it up to 11 what are like, you saying <laughs> yeah i mean it's not it's not you know it's not speedy gonzalez yes you know it's like we've moved past that yes. i would hope but i, I will say not. that the um the chinese accent oh. I, I, that was, that was uh, I just can't. Uh, pretty bad. I can't. It was so. I was so. All I could think about, honestly, this whole time was poor Ed O'Neill. Poor. I mean, he's probably too rich to even listen to this. He's probably just like recorded the thing and sent it away. Can he you doesn't even, know how to download this on his phone. You, you know. You know. The the thing about all this is that's. I don't know. Like maybe Follis, He's not a compelling talker or something. But it seems like it would have been just so easy to just like have him tell these stories, and just why not just do it that way. Because quite honestly, like the premise of it, like hearing this guy's undercover stories, like, yeah, I'm on board. Like that would be kind of cool. But I don't feel like that's really what we end up getting. Yeah, I think it's because it's born not out of journalism and journalists. It's born out of Hollywood types that are used to putting on a show. And so they're trying to do what they know as opposed to trying to do what, you know, the way somebody else would do it. And I think... I think that's why he went in that direction. Or maybe he got throat cancer and has to talk through one of those electronic boxes and can't actually be on a podcast. Well, maybe Who knows? he does. Who knows? I, I feel I, badly then. I kept, I kept thinking the same thing. Like, if this guy is so interesting, have him in his own voice telling these stories using his own language. Because whoever made up this stupid language for him, maybe it was him. I know, he, I know this is based on his book. Maybe he has a very poorly written book and this is just reading passages out of it. It's very bad. I don't know what else we can add to this critique. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't particularly informative about plot and so forth because, frankly, there's no reason for it to be. So why don't we just do what we do, Uh go around the horn and gives our thumbs up or thumbs down review of The Undercovers, the new podcast. Laura Bricker, should Crime Writers On listeners check out this podcast? Thumbs up or thumbs down? What do you think? Um, If you need some motivation for your rage walking... You might want to listen to it because they took what could have been a really interesting concept and just absolutely destroyed it with overproduction, horrible writing, and super cheesy sound effects. So it did feel some walking for me this week and some swearing, but uh, just listen to one episode. So it's a thumbs down, but you know you might want to just listen to one episode just to get the flavor of it. Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up? Or thumbs down for the undercovers. Look, I, I want to leave with a little bit of positive about this because there is this one mind-blowing visual moment where he talks about how he misses his opportunity of having this guy's stuffed head oh, on his wall as a trophy. Oh, God. <laughs> I was just thinking this guy hanging out in his, in his den with this stuffed human head <laughs> mounted. Uh, oh, God. So – that that was a little bit of genius right there, uh, but other than that, it, it's it's just I, I think it's like wrong from concept to execution in like matters big and small. And again, I just I, I feel like there's there got to be like great stories there, 
and he, it kind of hints at some stories, but they don't really become stories. They just become like these three-minute recitations of the facts of what happened and then this sort of prolonged story about cutting a dog's throat. So is that a thumbs down, Toby? I don't know. I'm on the fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a thumbs down. It was, it was, it's, it's really, it's a mess. I'm a thumbs down too. I found it embarrassing. I'm embarrassed for people who made it. I found myself cringing while listening to it. But worst of all, like if it were just bad and if it was just bad writing and it was just like cheesy. Like a couple of weeks ago, we did that um, Dateline podcast, right? Mm -hmm, The thing about Pam. And you could make the argument that some of the writing in that was, and this is not the right use of the word objectively, but it was like objectively bad, cheesy, right? Right, Yeah. But they, they had a spirit and like a sense of fun to it and a delivery that made that work. This has writing that is bad and cheesy and then no sense of self-deprecation about that at all. But even worse, I didn't understand what the hell was going on. And I, I found myself in moments like I don't care about spoiling it. I'm sorry. It's a spoiler free section. At one point, this guy, the agent, tells a story about finding like a murdered woman who was like stuffed in a barrel with acid or whatever. And it's like, oh, my God, they killed her. And I'm like, Who? Who did they kill? Who are you talking about? What happened? Because the pacing is so odd. It goes through like 18 scenes in 18 seconds. And then these long introspective illuminations on how cool I am or how tough I am or how pained I am to be doing this dangerous but important work in Serpico. I just can't. This thing is a disaster. I feel terrible for poor Ed O'Neill, who I love. I feel terrible for really everybody involved. I feel like it was done piecemeal, done poorly, and it's a disaster. But if you want to listen to what a bad podcast listen sounds like, just check it out for five minutes. You know what we're talking about. What about you, Kevin? I'm a thumbs down. I really wanted to like this. The writing is way too corny. The acting is uneven. Uneven. (laughs) generous. (laughs) I think it's on par with Passenger List myself. (laughs) I think it's way worse than that. And it's just... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's a swing and a miss. I, I really, like I said, I really wanted to like it. I think that there's, you know, a good thought here that there is probably material that can be mined from these kinds of books because there are shelves and shelves of these publications that haven't been adapted to anything. This would make a really good movie because it could be visual and action-packed and maybe you get the right people and you can make connections with those characters. But it's just really not working here. It's pretty over the top, and I do feel embarrassed for everybody. <laughs> that was, I feel embarrassed for the people, for their parents. I feel their embarrassed. Their future children. I feel bad for their children who have to go to school and face people. It's, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's too bad. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of the week. Of the week. A Des Moines, Iowa family made a pretty gruesome discovery this month. Five inches of blood and biological material flowing into their basement. No, it was not the work of a serial killer or a poltergeist. The blame goes to the meat locker next door to their home. Seems like the kill room next door shares a floor drain with its residential neighbors. <laughs> the new owners say bio-waste is discharged into a contained tank that is later removed by a, quote, rendering truck. Everything about this is so gross. <laughs> Washing blood, fat, or other products down the drain would be illegal. Nevertheless, tests show liquid from the meat locker flowing into the family's cellar. Ugh. Officials believe a blockage in the pipe is causing the backup which has been flowing for two weeks now. The homeowner says floor cleanup will cost about two grand. It's a deal as far as I'm concerned. And he'll have to replace its sump pump because it's been clogged with animal fat. I can't even. It's so gross. It's a heavy flow day. So here's the thing, guys. This is a major gross out. I heard that Kevin and I'm ignoring it. But we all live in New England, so we all know we found even grosser things in our basement. Laura Bricker, what is the worst thing you've ever found in your basement? 
Um, I'm going to tell you the happiest thing I ever found in my basement first, which was the really nice picnic plates that were lost for about 10 years that I That's found. That's right. Behi- uh-huh. Yes, behind an old freezer, thanks to neighbor Dan. So that was a good thing I found. And the worst thing I found also happened recently. A few weeks ago, I was like, why are all these fruit flies in my house? And I'm walking around and I'm like, something just smells wrong in my house. And <laughs> you may recall... A few weeks back when Rocky Flintstone the cat got sprayed by the skunk in the face and Fireman Ken was in charge of fixing that. Yeah. Well, he went out and he did not follow my directions for the um, Dawn dish soap and the peroxide. He decided to go like 1970s and went and got a big container of tomato sauce or to- ah. yes. uh, tomato it. juice. And that's a good move. Yeah. <laughs> well, what happened was he poured some of it on the cat. The cat howled and ran away and he left this like container of tomato juice in the oh. downstairs bathroom oh, okay. with the lid off. Oh. And by the time I found it, it was filled with oh. flies oh. and mold. It was so oh, fucking disgusting. Oh, <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh yeah. So oh. anyway, that was pretty gross. Oh. <laughs> Toby Ball, what about you? What's the worst thing you've ever oh. found in your basement? Oh. Well, when I was in middle school and we were living in Thailand, we had a cobra infestation <laughs> in my basement. <laughs> Just like 15, 20 cobras. Now, weirdly, Kevin, we have a story that's like, this is so New England, right? Except for Toby's. Hey, you tell me, I know the story I'm going to tell. Is it about the bucket? Yeah, when we moved into this house, <laughs> I was looking around in the, the back basement where they had like the water heater. There was like one of those... Uh, White buckets. Well, those white buckets. It's five-gallon paint buckets. I, that's it, yeah. And I looked inside. I'm like, what the hell is this on the flashlight? That must have been filled with a hundred dead mouse skeletons. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Jesus. Like, what the fuck? Our previous homeowner predecessors here were trapping mice by doing something and then putting like a bucket. It's horrible and cruel. And I would never do this myself and trap mice this way. But if you're going to sell your house and you have a horrible, cruel mouse trap trap that's obviously been there for years because they're literally all skeletons. Worked. Wouldn't you think that you would maybe throw them out into the woods? We live right next to the woods. I don't know. You're moving. I don't know if that's top. It was a nightmare. I screamed. That's all you need to know. And we should probably end the show on that note. It's a good good note to end it on. But before we do, by the way, no one who's listening to this right now, they're all like, fuck New England. I am not moving there. Lara Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do. Um, we're back to cats. And this is from our friend Amy Cavino. Um, she sent me this Amy great... Amy Cavino, the WMUR TV news reporter, who's a good friend of all of ours. Yes. And she is a lover of our podcast and a cat lover. We've had her dog on here before. But now um, she sent me a picture. Her daughter, who's in the Air Force, rescued not one, not two, but three stray kittens and flew oh, them back from... Guam. And this Mm. is Kia, who is a rescue cat and is now conquering the wilds of New England outside on her little pink leash. And she's a very cute little tortie cat. And um, I love it. Three stray kittens. That's awesome. It's giving me some ideas. Maybe I need more. I guess in Guam, there are three fewer cats than there are cobras now, right? (laughs) 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 All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to reach out to you and submit their noble pets, Cats, dogs, cobras, tarantulas, or otherwise to be cat of the week. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Laura Bricker, and I will never pick a cobra or a snake, so don't even don't try. Don't bother. Yeah. And Toby Ball, people want to learn more about the details of your fictional childhood spent abroad. <laughs> How can they find you on Twitter? There's all kinds of information at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and just say, hey, Kevin, what's up? How can they find you on Twitter? Hey, girl. You can find me at Kevin P. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, but that's boring. Go to the group. Support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash partners in crime media, and you'll get the four additional podcasts we make there. The Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, and Laura Bricker's 
Leave It to Bricker podcast. Our theme song was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was line edited by the very handsome Henry Lavoie, and it was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C, the closet in our basement that leads to a secret network of caves in which we plan to someday disappear. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later. Bona makes it easy to care for your hardwood floors with innovative products that give you daily clean, timeless... You said hardwood. <laughs> I did. I also said... Hardwood. Bona. Bona. <laughs> okay. Bona makes it easy to care... handy coming up, too. Not tonight, but so... They're right. really good. And we love both companies. Right, Kevin? Right. It's not about their product. It's about that we're 12 and we can't say their name. It's not about the money. It's about the money. Whatever job you need to do out there, grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions.